0: Welcome to episode number 21 of the Plant Powered Radio podcast series. I'm your host, Janine Bancroft, and on today's show from Ojai, California, dietitian Sharon Palmer with some tips for veganuary. Sharon Palmer has been a registered dietitian for over 30 years. She's author of The Plant Powered Diet and Plant Powered for Life and a whole bunch of articles. Sharon was raised and schooled in Loma Linda, California, which is now known as a blue zone, one of several blue zones around the world where a focus on plant based living has been scientifically connected to health and longevity. Hi, Sharon, and how was your holiday? Hi, how are you? My holidays were great. What did you eat?
1: I've been cooking so much. I actually made this amazing uh, savory lentil stew with a sage pastry topping. It was so good. (laughs) So yeah, and then a lots of veggie dishes. So it was fun.
0: And one of the great things about eating everything plant based is you can kind of just keep eating it and it doesn't really stick around too long is, is my experience.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's much lighter, especially if you're really cooking with whole plant foods and you're not adding a lot of extra ingredients. It's very filling. That's one of the benefits of a plant-based diet. It's uh, you have all the fiber, so it fills you up, but it's a lot lower in calories than other sorts of eating styles.
0: There are so many great benefits and we're heading into the new year. And I know a lot of people are signing up for Veganuary. Do you have experience with with the project? I hear from a
1: lot of people, and I think it's a great way to kick off a healthy eating goal. You know, I've always found that um, if people are interested in plant-based diets, a a challenge works really well. I I think that that's a great way. Of course, everybody's different. They all have their own individual you know behaviors and psychology that that makes different um, you know lifestyle changes work for them but i find a lot of people benefit from a challenge so that way it's not like this scary thing where i have to change everything i'm gonna just try it i'm gonna dip my toes toes in the water and if i like it i'm gonna keep doing it and so i that's the great thing about veganuaries because after the holidays people are really looking for a, a health goal resolutions are so popular So Veganuary, it's just easy, you know, just do it for a month and just see how you like it.
0: It's kind of cool that to know that there's all these other thousands of people doing it too. And then there's support. There's a Facebook group and the Twitter feed and everything, and you can get ideas and recipes and stuff like that. Where would you suggest people start? If you were launching into Veganuary, what kind of advice would you give people to start with?
1: Well, the one thing I always like to tell people, um, to do is to get prepared for it. Because one of the things I hear, uh, from so many people that try a plant-based diet, you know, and they say it didn't work for them is because they weren't prepared. And a lot of times they just don't have the things that they need in the kitchen to make delicious, satisfying meals, or they're just not eating balanced meals. So then if you're not eating a balanced meal, you're not going to feel energetic, So you, I mean, you do have to have a certain level of preparation, not that it's like this really difficult thing to do, but anytime you want to eat a healthy diet, you know, you need to have those ingredients in your kitchen and you need to have some ideas, how to plan a healthy meal and some recipes, you know, to look for. So just a little bit of planning, I think is very helpful.
0: I think on your website, you have a go vegan toolkit that you offer. Would that be helpful for people as they prepare? Yeah. Yeah. It's
1: a free toolkit you can download and it's just kind of a Kickstarter. So it has like shopping lists. It has meal plans. It has like, you know, some tips, um, on, you know, really how to get started and how to eat a very healthy, nutritionally balanced, a vegan diet. So that would be beneficial too. Um, I think a lot of people, it's very popular on my website and, you know, I'm trying to give people, you know, uh, advice from a registered dietitian. I'm a registered dietitian. So it's, you know, based on science and it's, you know, you're going to see a lot of things out there on vegan diets and maybe aren't so science-based. So I try to keep that, you know, more grounded in what
0: really works. And I know uh, sometimes when people shift to plant-based things change. And so, uh some like blood pressure normalizes and um cholesterol decreases and so sometimes people are on medications and and I think that it ends up that they don't need so much medication as they that's shift true. to plant based right that's a very important uh point
1: that you made because you know and some of these results happen very quickly so if you you know do do something like January for the new year, you could find some benefits right away that you might want to like share with your physician. So, you know, if you're doing your own blood pressure monitoring, even looking at blood cholesterol, you may not need medications. So it's a good idea. If you are going to make a commitment to a diet like that, to, to, you know, to also discuss it with your healthcare uh, practitioner, because they may need to adjust that. I mean, it's very common. Um, I've observed that people can get off their meds, things like You know, statins for blood cholesterol lowering, or blood pressure medications, or even um, blood glucose medications. So, not that I would never recommend you to go off those on your own. You should discuss that with your healthcare uh, practitioner. Right. But it's
0: it's pretty common. Right. And I guess it's nice if you have a healthcare practitioner who's plant based or vegan. But even if they're not, I think you can say, you know what, I'm going to try this for a month, and I just want you to support me and and regulate the meds, right? And I, th- yeah. I also think too, I had a friend that I worked with for a while and he, he went vegan and he sort of did it on the quiet. And all of a sudden I, I started noticing, you know, you've really, you're really losing some weight. Like you look so much more energized and stuff. And then he told me um, what was going on. And unfortunately he hadn't taken the before and after shot. I just thought it would be so interesting to have that before and after, like to have all that information and then to see how it shifts as you go. Yeah.
1: yeah. You, I mean, even like your blood, uh, you know, results, you know, your physician could share them with you to see like what your cholesterol was last year, you know, and, and then after being on a plant-based diet for a month or something like that, but weight loss is a common occurrence and research has been pretty uh, consistent in showing that people who eat vegan diets, without even doing anything else, just literally eating a vegan diet, um, weigh less. There have been studies that show people weigh, uh, people who are vegan weigh an entire category of BMI. On average, they weigh an entire category on BMI lower than um, omnivorous uh, people. BMI, can you explain BMI? So that's body mass index and, and there are certain categories. And so we have like the normal BMI, overweight BMI and obese BMI. And, um, study, this study found that, that vegans are one entire category lower when we look at these, you know, categories. And, and this is just looking at just findings. It's not like related to a weight loss vegan diet. It's just vegans in general. And it's really easy when you look at the diet, you know, when we were talking a little bit about, you know, all these healthy plant foods that you get to eat and they're very full of fiber. And so fiber really seems to be the thing that scientists think is causing these weight loss benefits because fiber is probably the highest satiety nutrient we know of right now. We also know that like protein and fat can help with satiety, but fiber is the big one. So So when you eat something with a lot of fiber, it just literally makes you feel full. So you just don't eat as much, you know.
0: Okay, satiety—that's the feeling of being full. Okay. Exactly, the right. okay. feeling of being full, and, and even like not just
1: immediately. Not it's it's more than just that feeling of oh, I ate my whole plate of food, I'm full. It's like this kind of long-lasting feeling of being full because fiber kind of just sticks through, you know, goes through your entire GI tract and has these benefits. And the satiety value it even starts in the chewing, because research shows that when we eat chewy foods. We get more full like versus the the other spectrum of that is like beverages. You know, you can just suck down a very high calorie beverage in no time. I mean, anybody who's been to Starbucks knows that's true, right? Like all those coffee drinks and you cannot feel any fullness from from like a 700 calorie drink, you know, or, well, you would feel a little bit, but not like eating a meal with beans and whole grains. So even the chewing part starts the satiety right there. And then of course the digestion as it goes through. So it's, that's really the big, one of the, one of the big benefits of a plant-based diet for weight.
0: And not, not a junk food, a diet, a whole food, plant-based diet. Yes, Very yes. Very
1: exactly. Important. And that, I think that's really important because I've been thinking about this lately that, you know, it's wonderful that we have so many vegan products now. It's just like, you can find a replacement for everything, but I also see, that it's adding a lot of empty calories and junk to our diets. I mean, it's really great that we have all this. I don't get me wrong, but you know, it would be really easy to stuff your, your diet filled with sugars and saturated fats and everything by using a lot of these foods that are out there. So I think we're gonna start seeing people not really experience the, the weight benefits if they just go immediately into to all of these processed foods that are there.
0: Right. It, it really, it, it's about embracing the kitchen, I think. And, and, yeah. um, and finding the joy I, for me personally, I, I really didn't enjoy cooking until I became plant-based. And I think partly it was because of the blood and the fat and the gross stuff yeah. and the cleanup. And it was yucky, but, um, cooking with plants is wonderful and there's no contamination, you know, they're not mm-hmm. carrying any diseases, at uh, home from the store. And, uh, um, so, um, but I, you know, that said, I do always have on hand, uh, some frozen veggie burgers or yeah. fake, you know, mock chicken fingers or stuff, just cause there's nice snacks every now and then, right. Or if I'm in a hurry yes. and I just need to throw something together, but not every day for sure. Exactly. I mean, I always have veggie
1: burgers in my freezer and I like all the plant-based dairy products for cooking, but I, I try not to. Yeah, I mean, uh, I try not to use a lot of these all the time, you know, and I love what you said about cooking because I'll never forget a chef told me once that, you know, and he's award-winning chef said the, the plants are the things that even on, on a culinary level that add all the life they're living and they're colorful. Whereas animals are just dead Brown things. The so chefs are always trying to work with that. And that's really true because when you're eating plants, that's where all the color, the textures, the flavors, the aromas, uh, and then there's all the seasons to follow, you know, like you can get all excited. Like right now, the winter, there's pomegranates. I have pomegranate trees that I've been picking pomegranates from and the avocados and the citrus are coming. So there's always something to look forward to and to make things different. Every day you're eating differently. So it is fun. It's fun to cook that way.
0: So speaking of eating differently, I've, I've heard recently that as we learn more about the gut uh, microbiome, um, which is seems to be a fascinating place, like an ecosystem all to itself is what I've heard and that and that the key really is fiber, fiber, fiber and diversity of fiber. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, we're learning more and more about the gut
1: microbiome and you explain it very well. It's like this ecosystem in the gut, with different, um, microbes and there are microbes that, that protect our health. And then there are microbes that are, um, that they're kind of negative in in terms of our health. So if, if we have a, a good balance of the healthy microbes and we're talking about diversity and volume. So lots of different types of healthy microbes, plus lots of them then it's really based on diet. Um, and literally in the gut microbiome research world, they are looking at vegan diets right now. Like they're looking specifically because that diet has so much fiber in it. And there are other things too that, that the diet has that could be good for the gut, You know, like all the antioxidant compounds and these microbes, they even help convert all those phytochemicals, which are all those co- antioxidant compounds we eat in plants they help convert those into these pre uh, these uh, these metabolites that actually are more active. So we need that healthy gut, and Americans have dismal uh, gut microbiome. I mean, just horrific because of the Western diet. Uh, I was talking to a researcher who, who researches the gut microbiome, and. You know, they always look at uh, subjects to study, and they, you know, and they were looking for a baseline in the gut microbiome for population and diversity, and they couldn't even find Americans participants that had this baseline for their control group. You know, like it, Americans just have the worst gut microbiomes, and then we also have this the sanitation thing too, which is kind of ironic now that we're going through COVID. But you know, we over overdo antibiotics, all these other things in our society we don't let our kids dig in the soil and play with, you know, we don't work with the soil ourselves. So there's all of this in our environment too, that we're so clean that we're not really like fueling our gut microbiome that way too.
0: Yeah. I even heard that breathing air, like ocean air or forest air will impact the yeah. gut microbiome. And and they say that it's it's connected to the brain now too. Yes. It's our gut brain access, we're learning more about it and and it's
1: really responsible for our immune function, um, all different kinds of health conditions. We're just learning more and more, even healthy weight. And this is relatively new. When I first studied, started studying nutrition, we didn't really understand this. But, you know, even like people who have pets, they have different gut microbiome. If you're around animals, if you were breastfed as a baby, you have a different gut microbiome. If you were a cesarean section versus natural delivery, there's all of these things. And I mean... and if you really think about it, humans evolved in the natural world, were born naturally, probably in the dirt, you know? So, you know, you were born and you got all you got all these uh, microbes from your mother when you're born, from her skin when you're breastfeeding, even the milk. And then, you know, just being in the natural world, you know, around the earth, um, animals, all these things, uh, you know, fed us this uh, diversity. And then we ate a lot of plants and now we just don't do that very much in general.
0: Well, there's the shift. I'm, I'm holding out hope for the shift towards plant based living. I think COVID has really awakened a need for healthier lifestyles. And so fiber, 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 how much fiber does meat and dairy have?
1: None, none. Like zero.
0: Big thing.
1: Yeah. And Americans have just horrible average intake of fiber and You know uh, we're supposed to be aiming for more like 25 to 38 grams. I don't know if you've done this, but I've analyzed my diet and sometimes I'm getting like on average 70 to 80 grams of fiber per day, which is a lot of fiber. But I mean, that's a a huge benefit. It has a lot of benefits beyond the gut. Fiber can help lower blood cholesterol levels, um, blood glucose levels. There are a lot of benefits.
0: I heard it described as a, like a, a broom. It's like you're sending a broom through your body to sweep away all the cholesterol and, and clean everything out. Yeah. And in that one
1: of the reasons why they think that high red meat diets are uh, linked with colon cancer because they take a long time. They don't, they have a long, what we call transit time through the GI tract. Um, fiber just pushes things through quickly. So that means all of the environmental toxins that we're getting through our normal lifestyle, you know, we could try our very best and we're getting those in, in our systems and our food with a really quick transit time. We're just pushing it through. It doesn't have time to contact the skin and the colon, but with low fiber, high red meat diet, there's all this time that there's this exposure and colon cancer is something that takes time to develop. You know, that alone um, could be explaining why there's a higher risk of colon cancer.
0: let's say if I was uh, a client of yours, and I've been trying to eat plant based, but I get these stomach aches, and um, I don't feel satiated, I I don't feel that full feeling. And until I go, so I eat a little bit of chicken every now and then, and then, and then I just, my stomach ache goes away, and then I feel better. What do you think is going on there? Well, you know, one thing I think
1: happens um, with people is they make these huge dramatic shifts in their diet. So if you're eating the Western diet and eating 10 grams of fiber, which is not unheard of, that's not that uncommon in America. If you're just eating this little tiny amount of fiber. And by the way, we were just talking about our gut microbiome. Our gut microbiome is based on our diet. These bacteria are there based on your diet. If you eat a lot of meat, then you have more of the bacteria that help digest, uh, you know, these kinds of foods your gut microbiome is very reactive to your diet so if you all of a sudden just from your western diet you've been eating for a long time to eat you know this really healthy diet filled with fibers and all these foods that you're not used to you could experience some some symptoms you know temporarily so i always tell people To make more gradual changes try to gradually increase the fiber so the fiber kings are beans pulses like dried beans lentils peas and whole grains and you know when i say whole grains i'm talking mostly about intact whole grains like farro or wheat berries or brown rice or quinoa so if you are eating like big heap of beans and sorghum like whole grain sorghum and broccoli and all this stuff. Of course, I eat like that all the time. You probably do too. But the first week, you might have to just kind of slow that down a little bit. You know, maybe have the beans and then maybe white rice, just till you gradually get used to that amount of fiber in your diet. So So so, so. maybe do beans and tofu for dinner, which is a little lower in fiber, you know. And maybe you have like, you know, lentils with brown rice for lunch and then maybe pasta with some cube tofu or te- tempeh or something so you're kind of like not overloading it i mean once you get used to it you know we know that you can get used to a certain amount of fiber the research shows that you can get used to it but it's just that little bit of a, a learning curve but you're going to notice your body is going to be different your digestion will definitely be different on, when you go to a vegan diet but it's it's good because you know people who complained about constipation don't have constipation anymore you know like a lot of times i hear that you know So, because you're getting all this fiber, so, you know, you will see differences in your digestion, but, but as you slowly increase your fiber, you won't have so many of the symptoms that some people get, but it's also important to think, you know, everybody's individual. I always like to point out, we all have our individual tolerances. I can eat so many beans. I have no impact, but others may have impacts or like they may have certain foods they're sensitive to you may have a little slight allergy to tree nuts or strawberries may give you a rash, whatever it is, keep in mind that you have your own sensitivities and kind of keep that in mind and and make sure you really eat a diet that works for you, knowing your body
0: and and what you tolerate and all that kind of thing. But I mean, but there's like a zillion different plants to choose from, right? So if something doesn't work, there's uh, still a zillion others. Yes. And the other thing to keep in mind is people
1: misdiagnose themselves with food allergies all the time. I mean, I hear it all the time. People will tell me, oh, I can't eat. And they give me a long list and I want to go like, when did you, I mean, are you sure that you can't eat those things? Because what, if you have food intolerances, you know, there, there are legitimate allergies. You can have, you can see a physician and, and be evaluated for that. Or if you just have noticed that when you eat certain foods, they don't agree with you. It's a good idea to. To think, well, what, are you sure it was that food? Maybe that was something else that didn't agree with you. So I always hate for people to exclude foods unnecessarily because there are a lot of healthy things that you, you know, why, why take it out of your diet? If it's real, are you really sure that that's the, the offending food, you know?
0: And then I think it, ch- it can change over time. I, I, for a while there, I was, I would have a reaction to pumpkin seeds for some reason. So I, I quit eating them. And then I kind of, I ate something that had pumpkin seeds by mistake. And I noticed I didn't have the rash anymore. So our bodies change too, eh? That's exactly true. In fact, now we know that
1: you can get a food allergy at any time in your life. Like you can get a food intolerance, you know, when you're 60, And we, you can even get celiac disease later in life. We thought, you know, a long time ago, we thought you were born with it. No, you can get it at a certain time of your life. So um, it is true that your digestion changes, your tolerances changes, so you can keep that in mind too.
0: Right. Okay. Um, I'm another client now, and I've had a couple of children And, um, I just, I don't absorb iron anymore, so I need to eat red meat so I can get my iron. That's a good one because I
1: do hear that too. And I think there's a lot of confusion about, about that. First of all, you know, you, I, I recommend when you eat a plant-based diet, just like everybody should do this. You go to the doctor once a year and have your labs checked. I check my iron once a year. I check my B12 levels. And they're always good. I have never had a problem with, um, iron levels being low and in, on average, the average vegan doesn't have a problem with this, you know, in tr- according to the research. So I think a lot of people just assume that they're low, or maybe they did have a test with their physician. And instead of like, you know, maybe the physician's not up on, you know, plant-based So they just give up or they start adding something. But before you do that, you can look at your diet. Maybe your diet's not balanced. You know, we do have plant-based iron foods, um, whole grains, pulses, the beans, lentils, the nuts, seeds. um, And it's completely possible to get enough iron in your diet. Now, if you are having a little bit of trouble where even when you're eating those, make sure every meal you're getting, you know, some pulses and whole grains and you're getting seeds and nuts in your diet every day. Even when you do all that, you there are some people that have lower iron levels. So there are other things you can do, like you can have vitamin C uh, rich foods, which helps increase your absorption. But most people who eat a plant-based diet are getting a lot of vitamin C. But if you do it at the same meal, so when you're getting making sure, you know uh, you have some fresh vegetables, you know, some bell peppers, strawberries, and citrus and all of those things um, with your meal. And the fresher preserves the vitamin C. So trying to have some fresh sources at the meal, that will increase the iron absorption dramatically. Another thing you can do is use a cast iron skillet. I do that. There are things you can do before you just give up and say, oh, I have to eat this, you know. You can make some changes.
0: Because physicians, like family doctors, how much time uh, do they study nutrition in medical school? Very good point. I mean, there was a study that... uh, showed about an average of 8 hours
1: for their entire medical uh, education because you know med- there's so many things for them to learn and there's not a huge emphasis in western medicine on prevention. So there are a lot of physicians who are fascinated with nutrition and who have done this on their own and I always like to recommend finding a physician that that it enjoys prevention and and you know believes in the power of nutrition I had one doctor tell me once that he, that I was just so lucky. Cause my labs look so good. Like you're, you're really lucky. You have good genes. I felt like saying, no, this is hard work. It's not hard work, but I mean, I did, those aren't just genes. You know, I have a lot of chronic disease in my genetic pool. So this was my diet and my lifestyle, you know? So I would highly recommend anybody who wants to, to, you know, switch to a vegan lifestyle to have at least one appointment with a registered dietitian who is experienced in plant-based nutrition. So that's important to find someone who knows, cause it's a, it's a more nuanced area and not every dietitian has those skills. Cause the thing that a dietitian can do for you, for you of course you can find amazing books and toolkits out there, but a dietitian can sit down with you and talk to you about what you like to eat. Do you have any foods that are your favorite family foods that you grew up with? What, how can we switch your diet? Like, you know, what is your activity level? If you're an athlete, the diet that works for me may not work for you. So to really look at your personal um, lifestyle and plan and make a plan for you.
0: And plant-based dietitians are specifically looking at plant-based research. Whereas I think probably other dietitians It's kind of off their radar a little bit, I would think. Yes.
1: Just like our whole medical profession, plant-based is not a mainstream. I mean, it's becoming more well-known and well-regarded. It has definitely changed in the last five years and it's continuing to change. I see more and more respect for it within the mainstream Uh, medical world.
0: You mentioned genetics. That's another question that I hear as well. You know, my mother had breast cancer, so I'm going to get breast cancer. It doesn't really matter what I eat. Yeah. I hear that all the time. I
1: feel like it's, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a cop-out where people just say, oh, my genes are my fate. I can't do anything. It's like, so I'm going to just do whatever I want. And the research doesn't bear that out. Of course, we know that we have genetic predispositions to certain Diseases, you know, you can have a genetic testing done and find out certain genes that you might have. Breast cancer is an example that you might have a gene that, that creates a higher risk for you to get uh, that breast cancer, for example. And we know that about other conditions, but we also know that you can change the expression of genes to downregulate or up- upregulate them to actually change how our genes are expressed. For example, if you have a family history of heart disease, Okay, that means genetically you're, uh, you know, you have a higher risk, but you can, you can attack that risk with your lifestyle. And we know that that's true. What diet did your father eat or mother eat, you know, so you can't always assume that you do have that genetic risk just because you had a family member that had that condition. The bottom line is you can change your genetic expression with diet. Even if you are indeed at a higher risk, you can reduce that risk with diet. Research shows diet is more effective than statins, just period. It was always meant to be like you had drugs with lifestyle, but people just started taking the drugs without doing the lifestyle. Diabetes is a classic example where we even know certain uh, cultural populations have a higher risk for diabetes. And it's also like weight accumulation. So central body fat is associated with diabetes. So when people gain weight around their abdomen, abdomen area, and we know that certain, Cultural populations have we gain weight differently. So societies that tend to, to have that genetic predisposition predispos- to gain weight around the abdomen area is those societies more are more tending to get diabetes, type two diabetes. But of course, with diet, you could just avoid that weight gain around the middle, even though you know that you're genetically sus- you know susceptible to gaining weight around the middle. You can do something about it with exercise and diet. So then you cut that genetic risk right there.
0: You have been doing a deep dive into sustainable food systems. Can you share some of what you're learning from that?
1: Well, I finished, um, I don't know if I told you that I finished my master's degree in sustainable food systems. Oh, right. um, and now I'm teaching a class at Prescott College on sustainable diets. I'm oh, I'm associate, cool. yeah, I'm associate faculty there on top of my other work. Um, in plant-based nutrition, so and I've been more involved in a project called FoodandPlanet.org, where it's with uh, a, some of my colleagues, and we're really trying to help educate healthcare professionals about sustainable uh, food systems. So, you know, like the healthcare professionals, dietitians, doctors, nurses have a huge amount of influence over behavior. You know, so while we're talking about how to eat a healthy diet, let's also talk about a sustainable diet at the same time. And uh, our research showed that there's very low understanding among healthcare professionals about sustainability. They don't, they didn't get that education. You know, we were just talking about, you know, nutrition education is poor. Can you imagine sustainability education? So we're really trying to fill that gap and educate the healthcare providers So that they can help educate and empower people, you know, about how to eat a more sustainable diet and how how to have a more sustainable lifestyle. So this is something I'm really passionate about right now.
0: So what does that look like? Um, Growing your own food, uh, shopping locally, that sort of thing? Well, we're
1: looking at all the different factors. Of course, a plant-based diet is one of them. That's a huge thing. Meat reduction is a huge thing. But also, you know, like you said, local food sources, trying to to use more local food sources, growing your own food, reducing uh, packaging, food packaging. Uh, Food waste is a huge one. 30 to 40% of our food is wasted. So you think about all of that goes into producing food. Um, You know, beverage choices are a huge sustainability issue. So the best, most sustainable beverage is drinking water out of your tap. I mean, if you think about just the impact of our beverages, like if you're buying everything in bottles, just what it takes to ship that around the world, to package it in petroleum-based plastics. So there are a lot of things, um, you know, the research really shows that diet could be the number one thing in your own individual life that you could do to reduce your your, um, environmental footprint. It's more powerful than the car you drive. So just think of every single person you know could change their diet and in the uk they did this study um, where they kind of listed these guidelines for the people in the uk what they could do with their diet the very things i was just talking about and they could reduce climate change by 34 percent just by doing that
0: mm-hmm. in the
1: in the population of the uk so there's a, it's a very powerful thing you know also you know like seafood is another area that's a big sustainability issue so you know we have a lot of people that are pescatarians, but you know, like if you're choosing unsustainable seafood, that could be another thing you could work towards. So, is,
0: is there such a thing as sustainable seafood, though? Really? Yeah. Well, that's that's a huge thing. That's
1: probably you know I was a pescatarian at one time, and then when I really started doing the research on on our oceans, and it, you know, it just became clear to me that that it was time. And then I went to lacto-ovo and then I went to vegan about, it's almost been 10 years. So that's another thing I see that people make these shifts. And I think that's another way, um, if you're really interested in plant-based, you know, maybe start with lacto-ovo and then make, try that for a month and then go to vegan. Like if that is a way that works for you, I see a lot of people doing that. I hear people all the time are making these jumps, you know, like they're doing one thing and taking the next jump. So. I'm all about letting people, trying to get people on that path to going that direction.
0: Yeah, I was like that for a long time. But now with COVID and the mutations, and I'm just like, no, just go vegan. Just go vegan. And then if that doesn't work, then maybe you can add something back in, I guess. But I, I'm confident that that just going vegan is really because I mean, lactose milk is really yeah, I, I totally yeah. get what I totally get where you're coming from. That's why
1: I eat the way I do. It, and the thing that's really great about something like Veganuary, from my personal experience, when I was vegetarian and then I went to vegan, I mean, it, it was not as hard as I thought it was going to be. And I felt so good physically. I felt good and I had immediate health benefits, but then, I mean, I just felt so good about my position in the world. Like literally my lifestyle, I wasn't hurting animals. I, I had the lightest footprint on the planet. I mean, research dramatically over and over again shows that vegans have the lowest environmental footprint. I mean, it's very consistent. So I felt like, okay, this is, this is my contribution to the planet. I'm doing the best I can. I mean, now there's other things I can do. I can grow more of my own food. I can get solar panels. I can do this and that. But really, that's like one big step. And, I, and it was such a positive feeling, you know? And I think that's what's great about Veganuary or, or taking a vegan challenge is to experience that whole, you know, process,
0: Right. And I think if you do it right, th- there's no going back. There yeah. for me, there's there's especially knowing uh, about what happens behind the the, the scenes with the animals. Mm-hmm. I don't want any part of that. I, I I think it's there's there's no going back. I mean, I hear about people who they go vegan like and then and then they like and, and sometimes famous people and they get a great following mm-hmm. and we're all excited because oh so and so went vegan, isn't that great? And everybody's going vegan and then they decide oh, you know what? Actually, I'm not vegan anymore. It's like, ah, no. I know. I can't. I'm always a little nervous about that too. I get
1: so excited and it's like, you can't keep track. Part of the problem is, is it kind of became like a weight loss diet or something. Mm, And I feel like it's a lifestyle. I've never been an advocate, even as a dietitian in going on a diet. It should be your way of eating for life. It should be something you can live with that you feel good about. You shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't feel deprived. You should feel sustained by your diet. You shouldn't like, that's why I have a many issues with the keto diet, but one of them is it's just such a horrific diet to live on. Like you, how can you ever have any kind of normal life? You know, again, I think when people uh, approach uh, a vegan diet, just as a weight loss diet, I'm going on, then it's, it's just a different thing.
0: Yeah. I'm telling everybody watch earthlings or dominion. They're both documentaries on YouTube. And, um, that is the best inspiration and then make sure you're doing it right. I've heard other uh, plant-based physicians mention that you really don't even need any multivitamins if you're doing the whole foods plant-based diet, but there's the, the B12 and D3, they say you, you got to get those, uh, the D D comes from the sun and mm-hmm. B12 is a bacteria. Is, is that right? And do you agree? Yeah. B12, you, uh, you have to supplement and there's a
1: lot of misinformation out there. There was one study that found only 50% of vegans are taking B12. B12 deficiency is serious stuff. It has neurodegenerative uh, effects. So you have to be, uh, you know, you can't just say, oh, I'm doing fortified foods. And you can get B12 and fortified foods like plant milk. But if you have to be consistent, you know, you can get the 1,000 milligram tablets. If you, I recommend two of those per week, something like 200, 240, 250 micrograms per day. But you have to be diligent about that. Vitamin D really is found in the sun. It's not in our diets, it's fortified in milk. So milk does not have it naturally. It's a fortification process. I like to use fortified plant-based milk because I always have plant-based milk in my kitchen. I use it for everything from my coffee to my oatmeal. So I know if I get the fortified, I'm getting a little vitamin D in there. And so, and I have to tell you a, a story about calcium. That's another nutrient people think they're not gonna get enough of. I just recently had my bone mineral density test and it wasn't just good. It was excellent. Wow! Like they, they were like, what did you do? What are you doing? Right. And I have to say, I was a little like, okay, I hope I've been doing, cause you know, your bones are built over years. Um, and you know, I was like, okay, did I get it right? I was so pleased. So, you know, I'm living proof that you can you can eat a vegan diet and have healthy bones, but it's, you know, that there are a lot of nutrients that are important for bone health and vitamin D is one of them. But back to vitamin D, you know, we humans always got it from the sun. You know, we live near the equator at one point, And then we started, you know, moving all over the planet to climates that had very little sun exposure. And it, you know, it was an evolutionary process that changed all sorts of factors about humans in order just to get vitamin D. So I live in California. You know, I, even with me living here, I go for a walk every day. I have a garden. I'm still not getting enough vitamin D on a regular basis. So I do take vitamin D. And that's one thing I have checked when I go for my annual checkup. I have my vitamin D checked, but it's, this is typical of all, you know, humans in Western societies where we're, we're working indoors. It's not just a vegan issue, but you know, most people
0: should be taking vitamin D. I have to tell you an interesting little tidbit about the Canadian health system, which is sort of being held up as, as an example of something better than what you folks have, which, you know, it's, a pretty low bar, quite frankly. <laughs> um, our Canadian health system, it's good, but it's not great. If I want to get my vitamin D tested, I can go to my doctor. I think I get 15 minutes at, you know, an appointment and she'll send them my tests in and I can get those uh, with, without a charge. And that's all great. Mm-hmm. Except for vitamin D. Now I live in an area that is a temperate rainforest. It used to be mm-hmm logged at an outrageously fast rate. It's horrifying, but it rains and it's gray. That's what it is. But they want to make me pay, I think it's like $60 for a vitamin D test. Now, to me, that does not make any
1: sense. I mean, that's a prevention thing. I mean, vitamin D status is, you know, pretty low hanging fruit. You know, this is the whole idea that we should be investing in prevention. You know, we know that vitamin D is linked with all sorts of Not only healthy bones, but cancer and, you know, immune function. But the other thing about vitamin D is I'm careful to get a vegan sourced vitamin d Yes, that's a very important note because it could be from animal, vitamin D, especially D3, could be an animal source. So whenever it comes to supplements, the gelatin capsule could be, uh, contain animal products. So I always look for, you know, that it's vegan.
0: Well, we're almost out of time. But before we go, I wanted to ask you another question. So like a lot of people, I'm spending a lot of time online these days. And there's a discussion in our group. Somebody was having a, a conversation with Christians at, at this time oh, of yeah. year mm-hmm. and uh, trying to find examples in the Bible, uh, you know, thou shalt not kill is sort of why we don't need and shouldn't be using and dominating animals. And the and the question came, well, what about the Seventh-day Adventists where you you're, uh, have emerged from? Uh, this is the people that uh, are part of the Blue Zone and mm-hmm. uh, are primarily uh, vegetarian. And I've shown now they've been studying them long enough to prove that they're the healthiest people on the planet. So they're wondering, what, what was it about the Seventh-day Adventists that they were able to kind of branch out and realize that we we don't need to be doing this. Yeah, I was raised in a Seventh day Adventist home. I'm not
1: um, a Seventh-day Adventist any longer, but I'm very familiar with that background. And um the thing about that group is they had their own kind of writings and teachings that were in addition to the Bible. And these were very much based on the idea that the body is like a temple and that um, you know, preserving the body is is just a fundamental part of that particular their belief system. And there, you know, they had very detailed writings about how you would preserve the body and meat consumption was a big one. I mean, it was, there were certain meats that were completely forbidden such as pork and uh, most seafood. And um, there were certain fish that were, I mean there's certain like certain fish that were allowed and chicken, but the whole idea was to try to strive towards being completely plant-based So there's a very high rate of vegetarianism. It was always presented like the goal is to be completely plant-based, but at a bare minimum, no alcohol, no, you know, no pork, um, no, no coffee, even, you know, lots of fruits and vegetables, healthy foods, you know, uh, it was a huge foundation, a a principle of that religion. So with this overarching goal that to try to achieve being completely plant-based, so there's a very high rate of vegetarianism and veganism among Seventh-day Adventists. And even with those that aren't vegetarian, and vegan, they're very eating a very plant-based diet, even though they may not hundred percent be achieving vegan or vegetarian, they're really, really low meat consumption. So that was an interesting thing. And because you had this kind of, uh, Homogeneous group of people because of their beliefs. It was ideal for doing research studies. So at Loma Linda, they were doing the first studies on vegetarian diets, you know, and vegan diets because they had this cohort, this group of people, and they could literally categorize them. Do you eat a vegetarian diet, a vegan diet? You know, so they had five groups of diets. They've been studying them for decades. So they were the first studies that showed the benefits because, you know, when I went to school, even though I went to school at Loma Linda, which was plant-based, the body of scientific evidence frowned upon vegetarian diets or vegan diets. They, it was all about, oh, my nutrient deficiencies, you know, it was almost like it's a dangerous thing, you know, and now, you know, because of those studies. And then of course, now we have studies from all over the world it really showed that no, they're not dangerous. They even are beneficial. It's interesting because you could take that population and you could take out things like alcohol and smoking. They also don't smoke. And then they other have other healthy behaviors that were identified in the blue zones. Like as in many religious communities, you have a lot of social structure, social support, which is so important for health. It's so much more than just diet and exercise. It's It's having people that care about you. It's about taking care of your older people and not just forgetting about them. All of, all of those things add so much. That's what the blue zones really pointed out is that it's more than just diet. The studies really were able to focus, get, get things like alcohol out of the equation, smoking, and literally just look at diet. They really overall found that it was like a linear benefit. So going from regular diet to Uh, you know, omnivorous to semi-vegetarian, there were benefits down to pescatarian benefits down to vegetarian benefits, all the way to vegan had the best benefits, the lowest impact on the environment. So, and the thing that was so interesting about those studies is that they did this whole kind of a plot diagram of what those people actually eat. Mm. And it's so beautiful because you can actually see when you're a vegan on the Adventist health studies, you're just off the charts compared to the average person, the number of vegetables. And when you see it all laid out like that, you can go, of course, there are health benefits, you know, look at the way they're eating. They're just off the charts and all these things we know are so good for you. So when you're not eating, eating meat and all those things that you have room for eating all these other really good things, you know?
0: And I think it's kind of a baseline now, those studies for all the other research. Now there's other research. And I I really enjoyed your interview with um Jasmine. Oh who- yeah born vegan. I mean they we have these people in our world now they were in in utero they were vegan and now they're in their 20s and we can we can see the results, yeah. right? Yeah, we have decades of of that knowing that it even with the limited knowledge we
1: had back then about nutrition, but we have generations of there's you know there's no evidence that there are issues with, you know, problems later on, you know. So, and It's great because we even know more now about B12 and iron and uh, omega-3s. So we have more information. So it's even going to have better results.
0: Okay. Well, let's hope Veganuary is a huge, big success again. It seems to grow every year. And then those people, of course, will influence all of their friends and family Mm-hmm. And we can get out of this whole zoonotic virus mess. I saw a great sign the other day on a building a photo that someone had posted, and it said there's never been a virus outbreak at a tofu factory. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> That's true. Well, you know
1: that plant-based went up during COVID too. I'm sure you've seen the data. I think it's because of things like, you know, more attention about our whole food system, you know, what's happening in slaughterhouses
0: and everything. So- Before we go then, we want to plug your website for sure, SharonPalmer.com. I have lots of free resources on plant-based living,
1: you know, the toolkit, the Go Vegan toolkit. I also have a plant-based pantry toolkit to help you planning your whole pantry, which is often really left out. Like If you're going to make the shift to vegan, you really need to get your pantry in order. So I have all these free toolkits. I also have a free home gardening toolkit. So when spring comes around, I'm always encouraging people to grow some of their own food and lots of recipes and lots of nutrition science. I try to do science updates and just articles on how to live a more sustainable plant-based diet. So there's a lot of stuff there. And I also have a new book coming out, California Vegan. And it's about, you know, it's interesting because we were just talking about Loma Linda, but the history of veganism really has a big, foothold in California a lot of it arose out of California for many different factors and so I kind of talk about some of the history and some of the the eating styles and it's it's a very hopefully inspirational book about how to kind of make your vegan lifestyle a little bit more exciting maybe some ideas for you know kind of celebrating a a lifestyle um, that's kind of like that more Mediterranean um, influence so That's fun. Lots of recipes and some interesting stories. So that's coming out and you can actually pre-order it now on Amazon.
0: Wow. I don't know how you find the time for all of these many things. (laughs) Um, And and so it's not just for people who live in California. Exactly. I keep telling everybody it's not, it's, you know, you could make these recipes
1: anywhere, but um, hopefully it just kind of gives you a little bit of inspiration um, to make your cooking and your lifestyle a little bit different
0: okay and you have a great newsletter that comes up with the, the photos do you take those photos yourself yeah I wow. really love food photography I have a, I live in Ojai,
1: California and which is like this it's just a very beautiful place uh, filled with farms and um, I have this perfect sunny window in my home that I take all my photos at so when you see photos on my site those are foods that we're eating in my family and we're cooking in my kitchen
0: Wow That's so. Amazing. <laughs> You're such an inspiration, Sharon. And thank you so much for taking the time today for this. Well, thank you for
1: all that you're doing. It's an important thing. And I, I certainly hope we have a lot of people giving
0: me January a try. My guest today was registered dietitian, Sharon Palmer. You can find more Plant Powered Radio by visiting us on YouTube and by subscribing to this podcast for regular updates. Please be safe and considerate towards all species. Thanks so much for listening.